You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. CBS Sports put out off-season grades for all the Major League Baseball teams, which I find kind of funny because it's only mid-January. Yeah, it's a little it's a little early yet, isn't it? Right. I mean, like if you want, I mean, so far, and I'm sure that caveat's somewhere in there in the in the article. But I just think, like, we've reached that point, right? There's no baseball news unless it's happening specifically to your team. Like Hanser Alberto joined the White Sox, and immediately it was: Is this a guy who's going to make it to the major leagues? Is this our second baseman? No, 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 he shouldn't be. If Hans Roberto's standing up there at some point playing for you, you're in some trouble. You know how I look at him? He's like the bar that Lurie has to get, he has to be better than to not be DFA'd coming out of spring. Right, yeah, he's, he's literally like, all right, he's a qualifying matchup for Larry to make this thing. Like, you're going to go into the ring with this guy and... Uh, you know, two out of three pinfalls. Otherwise, you're not coming north with us. Well, that's the thing. Like, when they're sitting there and they're telling you who's coming, what, would you rather have Alberto? And you'd be like, no, 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 I don't. You know? I mean, like, if you look at what he has last year, he was a 0.0 B-war. He's the definition of a replacement-level player. He's got a minor league contract. He's depth. Let's be honest. He, He's he is He is what sits on your bench if everybody who was supposed to sit on your bench got hurt. Right, exactly. But because it comes at this time of the year, it becomes something that people like they, their ears perk up. They're like, what's going on? I, I find it interesting ever since we talked to Scott Merkin last week here on Sacks in the Basement, where he was like, you know, watch for those little deals now. They have done that. You know, they, they're continuing to just grab guys on minor league deals. But we had this article from CBS Sports with grades and the grades and this episode, brought to you proudly by Cork and Carey at the park, 33rd and Princeton, Shadow of the Ballpark. Uh, they also have the location in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue, an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites, two-for-one burgers when you dine in on Mondays, non-Sox home games, and uh, we're going to be having fun there all season long. Uh, book your next event. You can rent out rooms over in the Beverly location. You can rent out the entire place over there in Bridgeport if you want to have a party these days and see everything they have to offer at Cork and Carey. Dot com. Uh, the list in the AL Central I just want to look at. The Twins get an A. The Guardians get a B-. minus. Which, come on. The White Sox and the Tigers get Cs. Come and on. And the grade for the Royals is a C-. Minus. Okay, I can and see my, that. And my first issue with it, Ed, and tell me if you disagree, is the idea that just because Carlos Correa signs with the Twins, that's why it's an A. Because that's the crux of that, of that grade when I read it. It's... So dumb, right? He's a good player. And and you know what? Until his leg actually shows an issue, he's still the same guy that deserved all the money that he didn't end up getting from the Giants and the Mets. Because until something actually happens, he's a superstar player. He's a professional star hitter, shortstop, middle of your lineup type guy. One of those things that's going to make the Twins lineup scary when we face them. So I'm not saying he's not a good player, but one move does not give you an A in the offseason. No, and and also he doesn't actually upgrade their team because they had him last year. (laughs) Right, you get an A for keeping the guy. 
yeah, you, you get an A for, for losing the guy to two other teams, having those teams balk at his leg, and then him coming back to literally the only team in the majors that's willing to give him a large amount of money over a large number of years. So the Twins get lucky, and they get an A. That's like saying that, you know, I if, if I went through and took a math test, blindfolded with plugs in my ears and like somebody hitting me on the head with a hammer, but somehow it's a multiple choice test and I beat the the odds and get every single one of them right, that I deserve that A. That's that's the Twins offseason in a nutshell, is they lose their best player to free agency twice and then he comes crawling back because the other two teams are like, yeah, we're not investing this kind of money in that kind of an angle. He's still making $33 million a year for the next six years. I mean, he he did well for himself. But here's the thing. When you look at the back of his baseball card or years from now, at the end of his career, somebody looks back at what he did. He came up through the Astros organization, hit free agency, and went to the Twins. That's it. All this other stuff will be forgotten by by history when it looks back. He'll probably be a two-team player because he'll probably stick with the Twins now forever. But the thing that I have an issue with is, how do you get an A grade when all you did was add Christian Vasquez and Joey Gallo? Because that's all you did to upgrade your team. Joey Gallo, who before that deal was done, we were on this show saying, of the guys that are left, I would much rather see Andrew Benintendi out in the outfield than Joey Gallo. Uh, hitting 200 for me and me hoping that this is one of those games that he gets the home run instead of the strike the the three strikeouts and maybe a walk he is a true outcome player it would drive you insane except for those rare instances when he actually gets a hold of a ball and then you're really excited about it and you hope that that comes in, in, in a big moment when your team needs it for the win instead of like you losing 10 to one and he hits a three run home run onto the concourse. So I was perfectly fine with not getting him. We we got a better player in my mind. I still say it than the twins did with Andrew Benintendi coming over instead of Joey Gallo, which kind of shows a little bit of the stupidity of this list. Cause they're like, well, I don't know about signing Andrew Benintendi long-term when he may have lost power. He's better. He's a better, He's a better player. player. He's worth more. Joey Gallo has got a ton of power. But the the 25 home runs that he'll hit this year are going to be 25 of the 27 base hits he gets this year. So you tell me who's more valuable. I would much rather have Andrew Benintendi hitting doubles for me than I would a guy who is just going to do absolutely nothing for the overwhelming majority of his plate appearances. Andrew Benintendi was worth 3.2 B-War in 2022, and Joey Gallo was a replacement level 0.2. And that was based on his defense. Right, and even if you want to fall back on just the Sabre metrics of it all, right? If you just want to look at their OPSs compared to the rest of the league, he had a 638 OPS, which is far below what the norm was, while Benintendi was above the norm at a 772 OPS. So he was more valuable at the plate. I, I didn't get it when people were arguing go get Joey Gallo amongst each other when White Sox fans were talking about who they wanted in the outfield, right? Like, I, I never understood that either. I don't know if it was because they just didn't believe that they would get Benintendi. Like, well, of course, the Yankees are going to get him back. And the Yankees wanted him back. So maybe it was just a belief that he wasn't even an availability. But you can't, to put a list together where you're going to sit there and, and look at the White Sox, and I'm not saying the White Sox are better than a C. I'm just saying the Twins have got to be down there where the White Sox are in this offseason. There are things that I wanted the White Sox to go do. Trust me, 
There are improvements that could have been made. I would have liked to have seen far more put on the budget. I would have liked to have seen them maybe pull off one of those trades that Rick Hahn told me we were going to get back in October and it never actually materialized. And who knows, maybe that still happens. But I'm not going to accept the idea that Christian Vasquez coming in as catcher and Joey Gallo in the outfield is an A grade in the offseason for the Minnesota Twins while the White Sox were a C. Because the Correa deal doesn't mean anything. You already had him. You just got him back. Are we going to reward the White Sox for the fact that Luis Robert will probably be healthy this year? Tim Anderson is likely not going to have any physical problems like he was dealing with last year? Do we get our grade up for that? No, because he was already on the team. And now he's still on the team. It's the same thing with Correa. In fact, losing Correa should have been something like, okay, you lost a superstar and you picked up these two dudes. Like, that would have been a D. Well, and don't forget, they traded their starting third baseman. They traded Gio Urshela to the Angels, and and now they're going to be running with Jose Miranda probably at third, and he's not a very good third baseman. Well, defensively, I don't think he's very good. They're they're expecting him to hit. Well, yeah, and and that's fine. But again, you're still looking at a team in the Twins that people are lauding them for not losing a guy now in Carlos Correa, but they have committed to youth in other areas. They've signed Joey Gallo, who by the way, was out hit by the guy that they DFA'd to get the Carlos Correa deal done and Kyle Garlick. Uh, you know, he actually had a better slash line than Joey Gallo did last year. So go figure on that one. And then, yeah, Christian Vasquez. I Honestly, Christian Vasquez is a decent catcher. He's he's decent behind the plate. He's decent at, at the plate. He's fine. He's, a, he's probably an upgrade for them there. But that, that, that aside, I don't even think that he's worth giving the Twins an A, especially when, frankly, when they're looking at giving the, a B-minus up to, you know, the Guardians, who I think improve themselves more with, you know, Josh Bell and Mike Zunino than the Twins did with Christian Vasquez and Joey Gallo. Yeah, but here's my question for you. When you see the White Sox given a C, even though they added Ben Intendi, right, and they bring in a Clevenger who we ha- we feel positive about, and I know yes. that's not; those are not world-beating signings, right? That, like that's there are things you could have done other than that. I get it, okay. But when you see those two additions put up against Josh Bell being added to the Guardians and Zanino, is there really that big of a difference between them? No. But in this in this article, there's this massive difference. But when you compare those players and their value to their team in terms of their wins above replacement and how they filled the needs that the team needed, right? Like the, the Guardians wanted another bat because Bell's not really there to play defense. And if he is there playing defense, they're just replacing one bad defensive player with another bad defensive player. He's not really that good of a defensive player, even when he stands at first base, let alone in the outfield, which he's done in his career. And they're looking for a guy in Zanino to, to, to bolster what they have at catcher. But he's not, he's not a world beater. If Yasmani Grandal has any kind of rebound, not not getting back to the greatness that he used to be, but any kind of rebound, we'll have a better catcher than what they have. Right, exactly. So, so the thing is, when I look at what they added and what we added, I'm still in shock over that. I don't know if that's because you sit there and you say, that's a major market. They're on the cusp. They had a lot of holes, so they should have filled five of them instead of filling the few that they did. I can take that argument. But you can't sit there and see the additions just on a piece of paper and say that the Twins were this like the best ones in the division in terms of what they added, which really wasn't much. And then the Guardians were somehow a full letter grade above what the White Sox did. If anything, you could say everybody had a pretty average offseason. And the Twins, I would put it like slightly below average because they already had Correa. Every 
every guest on Socks in the Basement is brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see all they have to offer at lamontdowntown.com. James Fegan writes about the White Sox for The Athletic, and he is nice enough to join us right now on Socks in the Basement. How are you, James? Uh, I'm all right. Um, very uh, intensely boring time of year, which is uh, a relief <laughs> from the eight-month sprint that we'll have uh, starting in a month now. How do you how do you stay busy during this? Um, I took a vacation at the start of January for my wedding anniversary, and there certainly wasn't a lot going on. Maybe like right around the holidays this week. Uh, you know, I haven't. I don't think I published anything since uh, Liam Hendricks's uh, diagnosis came out. But I've been trying to track down people and talk to and work on the story about like all the things he's done charitably to kind of um, you know give a picture of. <laughs> what he what he's like as a person because it didn't really feel super appropriate to do something just purely baseball until I had really like done something really uh, appropriate to kind of paint a picture why this has an impact. I would imagine it's difficult to cover the Liam Hendricks story. One because you've had conversations with him face to face if you're covering the team. I mean, the, the the closest we got to him was one interview where he was able to call in to us, and it still, it pains me as a fan to see somebody that you root for and you pull for, knowing that they're going to go through something as difficult as what he's going to go through, uh, especially over the next six months or so here as he starts his treatment. But also, when you're asking questions about it, you, you want to make sure that you treat it in the proper respect, right? I mean, his health comes first, but then you're also covering a team where they're going to have to figure out who the closer is going to be. So how do you, how do you navigate that uh, when you, you have a personal connection to the player? You also know that everybody's reeling from it, but eventually you're going to have to ask different questions, not only about what's going on with Liam and his timetable, but also, you know, things that will be felt on the team because he's not there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Like, uh, you know, it's almost lucky that's happening in the off season because I think I can do a story where I'm focused on him as a person. And uh, whereas, like, if it happened during the season, it'd be obvious. Like, you talk to the manager every day, and there'd probably be a question like, "Hey, who, who has the ninth inning tonight?" Um, so it'd, it'd come off like a lot less sensitive. Uh, so I, I'm I'm trying to do a story about him as a as a person and as the people who are around him and the impact they're feeling and why it's close to home before we go on to like, hey. Is it Ronaldo Lopez? Is it Kendall Graveman type of talk? So you, about a week or so ago, a little over a week ago, you put out an article on The Athletic uh, about a conversation that you had with Eddie Rodriguez and also, you know, what he's looking to do. He's going to be the third base coach for those that haven't haven't followed it very closely. And and he's he's going to be trying to work on improving the team's defense. And they, they did have a lot of defensive issues last year. But, you know, it seems like any time that you get a new coaching staff in or anybody comes in and they they have a new focus, they're like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do drills. We're going to get we're going to change our philosophy. But that's pretty difficult to do, especially with guys who have, you know, learned a certain way over a, a long enough period of time that they're already in the major leagues. So when you talk to him, how much impact do you think he can actually make in his first offseason? Uh, it's, it's hard to say, like, uh it's very tempting to read like, uh, or even just doing the coaching interviews and hear them talk and be like, wow, this guy is awesome. Uh, you know, he's saying everything. Like I think the assistant uh, interviewing like Chris Johnson, the assistant inning coach, I thought like he, he sounded amazing. Um, that everything he said, 
but I, I didn't want to like play it too hard because like he's the assistant hitting coach. You don't want to like tout it and make him sound like he's gonna chain boost every hitter's like OPS by a hundred uh, points on his own. Um, so yeah, there, there's it's all talk right now. It's January, um, and yeah, a lot of these guys defensively, they are who they are. I don't think like fundamentally, Tim Anderson is plus athleticism, you know, plus range, good arm strength, but is probably always going to be someone who you know, hand wise makes more errors than the mean, the average shortstop, uh, how much he can eat. Eddie Rodriguez can completely overhaul those dynamics. You know, you probably shouldn't overstate it too much. Uh, I don't think you can transform like Jake Berger into somebody who has second base in range, like overnight, but I, I, at least the main thrust of it is that they're trying to change the preparation level. And I think, uh, not just like the major league staff, but I think, you know, scouts talking about the organization in general is that, you know, their, their preparation has been around like looseness and comfort. Like let's not overload these athletes with, with more, let's make them comfortable. Let's kind of, you know, do hit ground balls to them to keep them loose, to get them, you know, in their bodies and, and, and feeling ready to go and not so much like working on specific things a, a ton. Um, whereas, um, you know, something Pedro was touted and obviously Eddie kind of, echoed it was simulating specific game speed reps. Uh, you know, and, and it's not to say that after the last year that any coaching staff wouldn't be like, Hey, we can't just rely on these guys being comfortable. We can't just trust the routine. There's, there's, there were too many mistakes for me to overall, but certainly this new group that's coming with fresh eyes is a lot of this, this group made a lot of mistakes. This group looked unprepared at times. This group didn't seem like they were um, ready to go or ready to handle specific moments. So we're going to, simulate that as best we can that we're, we're not going to be taken easy we'll trust that everything's there when the lights come on seven o'clock but we're going to simulate what you need to see and we're going to practice what exactly you're going to experience so there's a lot of emphasis both offensive and defensive side when it comes to like you know talking about hitting off a machine doing high velocity high spin or trying to hit a close range to simulate game speed grounders it's all about like well if you're not doing it right on the game night we're going to practice that specific moment at that specific speed um, in practice and, and see how it goes. Obviously, you need to dial down the reps a little bit. If you're asking guys to basically perform at game speed, you can't play two games a night, so to speak, with your practice, but um, that, that's where the emphasis, that's where the heart lies, and you know, I expect to see it as early as spring training. You know, I've heard myself um, through, a, through a pretty reliable grapevine that uh, the book on the White Sox that several Major League Baseball teams had on them, including the Royals had on them, was that if you could get up on them quick, uh, they weren't always going to come back on you. That uh, it was all in their preparation was very different from how maybe other teams did. Pedro Grafal, one of his one of his main things was like preparing teams on a daily basis for taking on the opponent. So of course he understood exactly what the White Sox were: strengths and weaknesses. Are, are you getting the impression covering the team and talking to these coaches? There's a clear mandate of I know how you beat this team, so this is what we have to fix so other teams can't beat us in the same way. Yeah, I, I think that they're naturally going to have that perspective of, you know, this is how we prepared for you. Uh, this is what we saw your holes are. I, I think uh, it's it's definitely a, uh interesting um, dynamic of hiring basically a, a raft of guys here in division rival who have been scouting you and doing drain prep for you. And I don't know if that's something that every team would want to do uh, or, or it's going to be like a new wave, but uh, yeah, I think it's a bit of a dynamic. I think in interviews, they've, if anything, been slowing down that uh, emphasis a little bit because they don't want to just sound completely like they're 
um, kicking dirt on the previous team. But yeah, I, I think that's that's a lot of what's going on. That's a lot of you know we can we can say how we were attacking you, how we were beating you last year, and you know you can try to prepare for it. So yeah, I, I think that's right on. So we go into the off season. You listen to it just like the rest of us, and Rick Hahn is pretty much saying. Uh, we're not going to be making signings as much as we're going to be making trades. I haven't seen any trades. Not a single one. What on earth? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think changed that? Is that a smokescreen? Do you think that it's waiting until like a later part? Did something not work out? Like, what? what's your take on that? Because I expected they're not signing anybody. They're going to have to start, you know, ripping things down and moving pieces. And this is going to hurt because somebody's jersey you bought might not be there when it comes around to the next year. And I didn't see any of that. I mean... When he spoke at the end of the year, it sounded a lot more open to, hey, maybe we're going to trade a cornerstone piece. Um, you know, I think the language he uses is like, some guys that he thought, we thought were going to be here for the long term, maybe they won't be. That was October. By November, that tune had already changed. It was very much like, you know, we got some distressed assets in terms of, or guys who are at a low period. Uh, in terms of Yuan Mankata or Yasmani Grandal or even Tim Anderson coming off an injury wreck year, even if he was effective before he got that first injury. Um, you know, he really didn't really come back 100% from that groin injury ever. If you look at kind of the splits between it and talking to coaches about how his legs were and his swing after that, they had kind of come to the calculus of it's going to be easier for us to just get these guys back or, you know, coach them up or get them healthy uh, and it's going to be a quicker path to building a good team doing that than, you know, trying to figure out how, what pieces we can trade from and and reconfigure everything when there's not really the immediate farm system depth to, you know, replace a lot of these guys or reshuffle the deck. If if you're trading away, you know, Tim Anderson or trading away Yamakata or stuff like that, like it's kind of too much work. And you're, you don't have Brian Ramos and Colson Montgomery really ready to go from day one. So already that. And, and even now, like, I think they're not alone in terms of teams that maybe expected the trade market to be more robust or expected to be able to uh, move more pieces around. I mean, look at the Twins still hanging out to like Max Kepler at this stage of the year. Uh, I'm sure they didn't really anticipate that. And also, I think there's a line of logic of you, you look at having a need at second base and on the field and having some level of resources that split between them, and they decided to maybe go towards their top choice for, for left field and now in a position where, well, maybe we have enough internal offense at second base, they're okay with rolling that rather than, you know, what I think has been the White Sox modus operandi a little too much, which is let's kind of get average level vets at both positions and, and split our resources as opposed to let's kind of maybe trust the prospects in one area. And I'm not trying to oversell Andrew Benetendi, but like it, it's different than, you know, their typical stuff of getting a one-year bounce back dealer. And I think it's a, it's a level, a tier above maybe the Adam Eaton standing a couple of years ago. I'm like, well, he, he's decent, but he's coming off a bad year. So we're banking on that. Like we find somebody who's at a high point of their value um, for what they needed. And yeah, it, it's been weird. I, so Rick did tell us, tell me I'm wrong in March if they do more for agency than, than trades. And I'm prepared to ask him, why are you so wrong about this? Because it certainly is not what came to pass. James Vegan writes for The Athletic. He does an excellent job covering the White Sox, and he gets to uh, take it easy a little bit in the offseason, and good for him. He's earned it. And I hope you have a I hope you have a better season this year than last. You know, fans, I don't think, realize what it's like for these guys when they're covering a team and it's as bad as it was 
for many months with the White Sox in 2022. So I hope it's a lot better for you this year, James. Uh, so far, it's just a lot more like people willing to entertain your questions and give like direct responses to it uh, <laughs> in a way that is legible and printable. You tell me Tony didn't like giving direct responses? I'm just speaking in general, you know. Uh, it, it seems like it's better in that that respect. Uh, so, for for my from a purely work standpoint, which is generally how I view things nowadays, uh, yeah, it, it seems a little bit better. Socks in the basement, listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Meanwhile, Ed's over here still upset about that CBS article with the grading of the offseason. Well, and here's where I, 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 the other reason why I take umbrage with this is the other two teams in in the division that get C's, a C and a C minus for the Tigers, both of them are basically because the Royals and the Tigers haven't done much. The Gregory Soto trade that the Tigers just pulled off for some added youth, basically admitting that they're in a rebuild and the Royals really not doing anything other than signing Jordan Lyles. The White Sox seem to be getting dinged in this thing for letting Johnny Cueto walk. And it, it, it it's... Then it begs the question, if Carlos Correa had signed with the Mets, do the Twins get an F for letting their best hitter walk away? Well, yeah, that's the thing. And here, let's get on the Cueto thing real quick. Johnny Cueto's deal was cheap, and I'm disappointed that Johnny Cueto still isn't on the White Sox if that's all that cost. If that's the best Johnny Cueto could do, he should have been somebody you should have brought back and gotten Clevenger. <laughs> like, personally, like I right. think that's yeah, what he's and I'm, I'm not saying that the Sox shouldn't. Should have resigned Cueto. Look, he's an aging pitcher. And what he did last year for you, who says that he's going to come back and be that effective next year? Sure, I get that argument. But that's the same argument that was made to me after 2005 when we didn't need El Duque anymore and we brought in Javier Vasquez. And by midway through the season, trust me, most fans that were watching that team we're, we're sitting there going, man, I would have rather have had El Duque back, even if he was getting older, even if he was at the end of his career, because he gave such an edge to the rest of the pitching staff. And what he was doing was something that they thought was cool. They were following his lead, and he brought that. Cueto was doing that last year with this staff. So to me, there was a lot of value to him. And if I thought, well, they, they won't be able to get him because after the season that he had, somebody's going to give him multiple years and, and more money. And when I see his deal, I sit there and I say, well, that's something that was easily attainable. And if we weren't penny pitching over there at 35th and Shields, definitely something you could have added onto the team. Definitely. I mean, there's so, I don't know, to me, it, it, it's a frustrating thing to see him leave. I, I was bothered by it this week. 
right? I mean, it, yeah. I know you don't need him after you go and you get Clevenger, but and maybe he doesn't want to come back. Maybe he thought it was just a clown show while he was there. I mean, you remember his comments. Well, he did kind of he did kind of comment like he thought it was kind of a clown maybe show. Maybe he don't want to pitch for this organization. Maybe he was like, you guys are a clown show. Look at the moment something went bad, you you knew that the move was to get rid of your manager. You knew that the move was to to make some changes and, and have some upheaval and make sure there was accountability. And you figured, we'll just take care of that in the offseason and threw the season away in a window of contention. Maybe he's like the rest of us, but he was experiencing it. And he's like, I'm Johnny freaking Guido, and I don't have time for this. So that's that's probably, in my mind, it's probably like the greatest explanation as to why he's not back. Not because the White Sox wouldn't have taken him at that money, but because he probably was like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. You know, you, you can't yeah. treat me. You can't make me go through a season like that and then expect me to come back. No, and and boy, did he lay into the, the locker room last year, too. So it's entirely possible that he's just not, you know, as much as we saw the excitement on the field and as much as, as you know, guys are trying to trying to follow his lead and everything, it, it may be something where he just doesn't feel comfortable coming back uh, because he's not certain that he's, you know, truly liked or welcomed or something like that. And it is also entirely possible that the White Sox just penny pinched and went, well, we spent all of our money on Benintendi and Clevenger. Yeah, so. but when you see what when you see what A.J. Pollock did, right? Didn't he like technically lose just a little bit of money in the way that he did things? Taking his app out, did. going out and getting another deal. He lost a little bit, right around a million. I mean, I, I don't have it sitting up in front of me, but I remember thinking that like that. He didn't even break even on that deal. That's how much he wanted off of that team. He couldn't wait to get away from it after the car wreck that it was last year. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be a car wreck this year because maybe there's a completely different attitude in there. And James Fegan, you just heard him here on the show, sitting there and and telling you about the the way that these coaches are approaching this season, the way this managerial staff is approaching this season. So maybe that wouldn't have happened again. But those are two veterans who have been around the block before and said, yeah, I don't care because you guys could have fixed this thing back in June or July and you let everybody languish for an entire season and threw a year of my career away. And I just don't trust you anymore. You know, when I see the Cueto deal and I see Pollock opt out in his deal, I, I have to wonder whether or not that's why they aren't on the team anymore. Not for a lack of the team being willing to keep them or wanting them back. Just the idea that here's two veterans who have been around the block before, played for many different organizations, and had a really, really poor view of the White Sox after sitting through 2022 in that mess. And that would be a, a shame if that were the case, right? But it's then, completely plausible, right? Uh, but, but yeah, realistic, very realistic, and very possible, and probably likely, and I'm not going to say definitely yes, but... <laughs> Um, I, I mean, even Fegan, you heard him at the end of the thing where he sat there, he's like, he's laughing. He's like, well, you know, I get my, my answers. Uh, my questions get answered a little bit better now. Like, like he's even having a more fun covering the team. It had to be miserable around that team, playing for that team, covering that team last year. It had to be miserable. So, you know, an older guy sitting there saying, I don't want to be around this anymore in the very end of my career. I, I get that. Yeah. Well, and, and you don't blame him. You really don't. Don't blame him for anything. And and then, yeah, we have this to talk about at this point in the offseason of, uh, you know, why are Johnny Cueto and A.J. Pollock elsewhere? And, uh, you know, why does CBS have such a low view of Andrew Benintendi? Uh, well, I mean, look, they gave the Giants an F, and I don't understand how the Giants could have an F 
I know we're off the White Sox, we're off the AL Central here, but I mean, in this story, they give the Giants an F, and they went out and got Michael Conforto and, and Mitch Haniger. They went out and had a plan when it didn't work out with Correa, and they saw something in his in his physical, right? So the idea that you're going to penalize them for that, when the Mets go and get egg on their face, and they also don't want him when they see what happens in the physical, and then Correa probably couldn't find anywhere else to go. Because look at the egg on his face having to go back and take less from the Twins than what they were offering him the day that he was entering free agency when he exercised his option. He exercised his option. They offered him 10 and 280. So instead of getting 280 guaranteed, he's only getting 200 guaranteed. And he can escalate it to 10 and 270 instead of 10 and 280. But he didn't even get back to what the original offer was. So I guarantee if Scott Boros could have found anybody else to take him, that they would have gone there instead of having egg on your face going back to the twins with your tails between with your tail between your legs. So you're going to penalize the Giants when nobody else in baseball wanted him? So again, I took this article with a grain of salt when we started, and now I'm ready to just crumple it up and throw it in the garbage. How do you crumple up a laptop safely? Uh, you don't, but instead of a grain of salt, we'll just say we're, it's one of those salt cubes you stick in a water softener. If I stick a salt cube in it, will that destroy the article? Sure. Let me see if it'll fit the SD card uh, tray. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.